All right, we are in Romans chapter six. And in Romans chapter six, today, we are gonna answer the number one question asked here at Rancho. And it's not, where's the bathroom? It is something far deeper than that, is far more profound than that, and it's based on our message of grace. We are a grace-filled church, absolutely grace-filled, top to bottom, left to right. It is all about the grace of God freely given to us. And so this question keeps popping up over and over and over again. I knew this message was coming up. And so three times this week, I was asked this very question. You ready for it? If we are 100% good with God by grace alone, in Christ alone, received by faith alone, are we free to do anything we want? It's a very simple question. It's kind of an obvious question. The more you preach and teach and model grace and God just giving forgiveness without any condition, here you go. The more God's grace is preached, the more God's grace is taught, the more God's grace is practiced, there's this little nagging question in the back of a lot of people's minds as well, if there's so much grace, can I just keep doing anything I wanna do? Can I get away with anything and God will forgive me? It's a legitimate question. It's a 2,000 year old question. Because Jesus was the first one to say, hey, listen, maybe our relationship with God isn't about obedience to laws and rules and regulations and earning anything from him. Maybe God takes his pleasure in just giving us grace and giving us forgiveness and declaring to us, you're right with me. You're 100% good with me. So Jesus introduces this concept of God's grace. And so this question has been in the back of our minds and sometimes we even speak it. If it's about God's grace, can I just do anything? So let me be clear. Rancho stands unwaveringly, unwaveringly on God's grace. It is a zero compromise proposition around here. It is only by God's grace are we forgiven. Only by God's grace do we have new and eternal life. It's only by God's grace that we're in a good standing with him. It's only by God's grace that he looks at us and says, you're 100% good with me. We will die on that hill. We will be like Martin Luther on trial before the religious authorities in 1518, here I stand, I can do no other. We're not messing around with God's grace. We're not adding anything to it. Rancho stands against any teaching that would say we have to do our part in earning forgiveness or being saved or going to heaven, that we have anything to do with it, we do not. Rancho stands on Christ alone who demonstrated that God did all that was necessary to bring us in a right relationship with him. Here's one of the cornerstone verses of Rancho, 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us. God invited us to a sacred calling. He did it all, it's pretty simple, right? He did it all, not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan before the beginning of time to show us grace through Christ Jesus. We are 100% good with God, freely given by grace. Grace alone through Christ alone, received by faith alone. And there's a big controversy in the church today, and it's been here for 2,000 years. And if you Googled hyper grace, you will find zillions, more than 624 websites on this. Hyper grace. Hyper grace is the accusation from some corners of the Christian church that, oh man, there's just too much grace going on over there. So we've been accused of being hyper grace, to which I say, you are welcome, right? Yes, it's like saying, oh, you're hyper nice, or you're hyper likable, or you're a hyper grace great person. I mean, there's no greater compliment in the world than for a church to be labeled hyper grace. It is all about God's grace. So this debate 
about grace and works or grace and religion or grace and devotion or grace and repentance of sin or grace or doing our part to, to save ourselves somehow, some way. That debate has been raging for 2,000 years and it was raging in the book of Romans. So we're studying the book of Romans today, chapter six, and that's what this is all about. Romans chapter six is all about, is it God's grace or is it about us doing our part by good works, obeying the commandments, things like that. So when we study the book of Romans, we have to know what is the context. And the context is this very debate. The who, what, when, where, why context of Romans is this. The Jewish legalizers were really thinking it's about obeying God's commandments. You know, the great 10 commandments and all the other commandments of the Old Testament. The Jewish legalists were saying, that's what we have to do to be saved. That's what we have to do to be blessed by God. That's what we have to do to maybe enjoy eternal life. What was happening is there was bitter division that was destroying the church in Rome because the Jewish legalizers and the Roman hedonists who were thinking, I think I'm more free. I don't think I need to come under the Jewish law. They were fighting each other, bitterly divided. It was destroying the church. When Romans was written about 58 AD to a young church, a new church, a persecuted church that was trying to figure out how to be multicultural, multi-ethnic. Where? Obviously the city of Rome, the center of global power, wealth, and gluttonous pleasure. I mean, the Roman church was a mess. And so you have these these Jewish legalizers holding to the purity of the Old Testament commandments. And here you have the Roman culture just completely debauched in their violence and their pleasure. And there were no rules on sexuality at all. And they were just abusing and owning people. It was horrible. So these people so committed to the law and people so committed to pleasure, both were receiving Jesus Christ as savior and they were not getting along. Why was this book of Romans written? To bring a diverse community together in Christ. And so we titled the book, Better Together. Jews and Gentiles, Jewish legalizers, Roman hedonists. You can figure out how to, how to be one. You can figure out how to get along. You can figure out how to be friends and partners in Christ. And that's what the book of Romans is all about. So in order to urge these two warring factions to get together and love each other and stop condemning each other, Paul is lifting up Jesus because Jesus is the great uniter of all people, right? And so he did this in the book of Romans very famously. As we studied last week, Romans 5, 8 says this, that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That was chapter five. We studied that last week. While we were still sinners, while we were still in our failure, Christ just died for us. The apostle Paul is saying this, listen, We don't have to get our act together before God gives us grace. While we were still actively in our sin, Jesus paid the ultimate price and showed the ultimate act of love, proving that we're forgiven by God because he laid down his life for us all. While we were in our sin. And then Romans 5 ends with seven phrases, seven verses, lifting up God's wonderful grace. We're right with God by his wonderful grace, his wonderful grace. Romans 5.20 puts it this way. God's law, the 10 commandments and all the other surrounding commandments of the Old Testament, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Jewish legalizers, Roman hedonists, you're all looking at the same law, the same Jewish scripture that's outlining all the ways we fail. And we all have to admit, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We studied that back in Romans 3. So it's the great equalizer that says, whether you're holding on to God's law or not, 
we can all admit that there is sin in our lives. We have not lived a perfect life. We can all admit that. And so we can be united in our humility, but united in this reality that we need God's grace. So as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. Did you see that? Throughout the history of humankind, through the history of, of the Bible, the Old Testament, the, the more the Jewish people sinned against God, the more he gave grace. And so the Apostle Paul is, is saying, listen, for all of us, the more we sin, the more God's grace is there. The more we sin, the more God's grace is there. And so a question starts coming up in the back of our minds. If there is more grace because there is more sin, shouldn't we just sin more, right? That's kind of the equation here, right? So Romans 6.1 asks the question, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? It's kind of an obvious question. And here's the logic. The logic kind of makes sense, right? If you, if you do just the, the train of logic here, it kind of ends up with that question. So if Jesus died while sinners were still sinners, that means we have no need to stop sinning before God forgives us. So if God forgives us in our sin, and if the commandments weren't given so sinners would sin less, and if sinners are made right with God only by his grace through Christ alone received by faith alone, we have a natural conclusion here, don't we? Then it sure seems like sinners could keep on sinning even more so that God could be even more gracious. Makes perfect sense. So the question is, should we keep on sinning so that God's grace would continue to be poured out. Now we have a, uh, a, a line around here. It's a, call it a tagline, call it a statement, call it a t-shirt design. It's live free, do good, right? You've heard that around here, you've seen that around here, live free, do good. That live free part is based on Romans chapter six. That live free part says, hey listen, sorry about some mic issues here. That live free part says we are free from these laws and rules and regulations that define our relationship with God. We're free from that entirely, and we'll see why in Romans chapter six. And so there's this little swirling controversy around Rancho sometimes. That's the same swirling controversy around Romans 2,000 years ago, that live free idea. We had a person just this last week on Thursday come to us and say, hey, listen, I got a, I got a friend, and, and the friend came to me and said, you know that Rancho church place? They have this phrase over there, live free, do good, and and they said, you know what that means, right? And a friend of ours was like, well, what? That means you could do anything you want to. Oh, is that what that means? That's not what we think it means, but that's what we suspect it means. Because the more you talk about grace, the more people who are trying to manage other people's sin starts getting a little concerned. Because there are people out there who really care about how much other people sin. And these are, this is kind of the addiction of religion, right? Is, is we've got to manage people's sin. We've got to manage people's failures. We've got to call it out, right? It's got to stop. Their sin has to stop. Don't talk about mine. Let's talk about theirs. Their sin has to stop. And so this live free, do good idea is based on the freedom that we have in Christ, that we are free from the law, free from the rules, free from the regulations. So the question comes up, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And I remember being that guy, being raised in a more of a religious environment. And I remember thinking and feeling that, you know what? I'm keeping my nose clean. I'm a good little church boy, right? Other people are doing things that look kind of fun, but I'm not supposed to be doing those things. And so I'm 
dialed in. I'm tightened up, right? I'm following the commandments. And so I get, you know, some praise from the church folks that, hey, there's a good church kid here. And, uh, and, and I'm thinking that, wow, I'm in good standing with God. I'm obeying the commandments, at least the ones I wanted to obey. I'm obeying the commandments-ish. So I'm, I'm kind of good with God, right? And I remember feeling the, the pride of that, right? I remember feeling better than the other people. And I remember kind of pointing the finger at them. Yeah, they're, they're sinning against God. They're not falling in line with the commandments. I remember that feeling of being proud. God's pretty proud of this one right here. I also remember the feeling when I blew it. When I did something I know I shouldn't do. And I remember the guilt and the shame and the fear before God. I remember at night thinking, I'm not even sure I'm saved. If I die the night, probably gonna fry in hell. I mean, seriously that God must be very disappointed with me. My sin separated me from God. His back has turned on me. He's not gonna answer my prayer. Uh, that girl I'm gonna ask God is gonna say no because God's gonna get me. I re- I'm serious. I remember those thoughts. Feeling separated from God, feeling condemned, feeling though he wouldn't make my life go the way I wanted because he's gonna get me, he's gonna punish me. I've talked to full-blown adults who have been in church for 60 years who think the exact same thing. I remember those days. And that's just sort of normal church life, right? That's the religious obsession way back in the Old Testament where they were punishing people for disobeying the law. I mean, there were capital crimes, right? If you talked back to your parents, you'd be drug outside the city, thrown in a pit and stoned to death. They were so you know, concerned about you know, calling out sin and punishing sin. And that was true around the time of Christ calling out sin and punishing sin. So Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm hanging out with sinners. And the religious addicted were all upset. I am forgiving sinners before they repent, freaking people out. I mean, Jesus is treating people who were, I mean, like the worst among sinners. They were traitors for their, their country and, and sexually impure. These were all of the accusations going their way. And Jesus was hanging out with them and forgiving them and lifting them up and saying, let's go. Yes, I want you to live a good life. And yes, I want you to to respect yourself and to love other people. And yes, you're kind of making a mess of things, but I want you to know, I forgive you. God is your heavenly father. Get up and let's go in grace. Let's go in grace. That message and that ministry of Jesus cost him his life. They wanted him dead. This grace message has to end. He must die and he was put to death. And so now here's the early church in Rome still nitpicking other people's sin even though Jesus died for that whole thing, right? To put away that whole paradigm. We're still nitpicking sin. Right here and right now today in the United States of America, in the Christian church, we're still fighting about the exact same thing. You gotta call out the sin. It's like like another, you know, Salem witch trial that never ends, right? We got a little image of of the the Salem uh, witch trials because the Puritans were all about identifying sin and calling out sin. The way they were in the Old Testament times, the way they were in the time of Christ, the way they were in Rome is the way they were in in Puritanism with chastity belts so you wouldn't do anything wrong here. This was a big deal. It's always been a big deal, right? And and then suspecting that uh, this person might be a witch, right? And making up evidence that condemns these women who were hanged to death, calling out sin, judging sin. It's happening even today. You gotta call out sin. Romans 6.1, should they keep on sinning 
so that God can show them more and more of his wonderful grace. It's the same thing. We can't have people sinning. It's a religious paradigm. And then the Apostle Paul answers the question. Of course not. All right, let's close in prayer. <laughs> now, his tone here in Romans 6, 2 is not very pleasant. It's actually very snarky. It's like, are you serious? Of course not. What a dumb thing. Sorry to be so whatever, but this is the spirit of Romans 6, 2. What a dumb thing to think. Are you actually saying that the imperfect holy God would be so incredibly gracious to us and that all of that results in more and more sin and destruction and hurt and decimating people and war and violence and power and chaos? Are you actually saying that this work of God's grace is gonna result in more and more people sinning? Are you actually saying that with a serious face? It's a snarky tone. In fact, a better translation is, may it never be. It's like, come on, of course not. It's obvious, it's a rhetorical phrase. Of course not. Anything that God does is not gonna result in more and more sin. That's a silly thing to say. It's almost just dumb. But it's the religious addiction that is always hypersensitive. Is there anything out there that's gonna make them not feel condemned for their sin or, or sin more? But Paul is brilliant, right? Paul is setting the whole stage. He's, he's setting the whole thing up. In Romans chapter five, he's saying God's wonderful grace, his wonderful grace covers you. Nothing about the old covers you. Nothing about the old makes you better. And he talked about Adam and he talked about the law, the Old Testament law, the 10 commandments. None of that stuff worked. Here you have God's wonderful grace and it's a free gift. And the apostle Paul says, of course not. The free gift of God, God's wonderful grace does not result in more and more sin. In fact, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Since we've died to sin, how will we continue to live in it? In other words, it's, it's, a, it's a self-evident proposition here. If God through Jesus, through the death of Jesus, put to death all of sin, Jesus died for sin, he died to forgive sin. That's like the number one proposition of the Christian faith. If Jesus died to forgive sin, why are we still all exercised about whether people are sinning or sinning more? It's a non-issue. Jesus died for it. And because Jesus died for the whole paradigm of law and sin, which does not exist anymore, of course we're not gonna still live in it. I'm gonna describe two worlds. You live in one or the other of these worlds. There's the slave to sin world. The slave to sin world. The slave to sin world looks something like this. We think God is angry because of the things we do wrong. He judges us as guilty and demands we sin less. He'll punish our sin and reward our obedience. So we strive to obey God by following the commandments, following the rules and regulations. When we fail, we feel guilty and separate from God. When we aren't failing, we harshly judge others who don't follow the commands as we do. That's the slave to sin world. I'm gonna give you a little quiz, four question quiz as to whether or not you live in this world. Do you live with the guilt and shame before God for the things you've done wrong? If so, you live in the slave to sin world. Do you think God is angry or disappointed with you because of the things you do wrong? If so, you live in the slave to sin world. 
Have you tried and tried to do better, but you just can't seem to do better on your own? You can't seem to get more obedient on your own. You can't seem to maybe kick some addictions and some habits that you know aren't good for you or know aren't good for your family. You just can't seem to kick it. That's the whole theme of Romans 7 next week. If so, you're in the slave to sin world. Do you tend to judge others for the things they do wrong? Making sure they know what they're doing is sin and making sure they stop. That's the slave to sin world. Not a good place to be at all. It either makes you arrogant because you've got some things dialed in or it makes you judgmental, which is destroying the reputation of Jesus. His judgmental church is destroying the reputation of Jesus. It's not a good place to be. It is doing no good in this world. But Jesus came to bring a different world. We're gonna call this the live free, do good world, right? The live free, do good world. Yes, that's conveniently our tagline, walk with me. It's all based on Romans chapter six. Jesus taught a whole new world. Jesus was raised in the slave to sin world. He was born in the slave to sin world. He lived in the slave to sin world, but he brought a brand new world, the live free, do good world. He taught that God is not an angry judge, but a heavenly father. Jesus taught that God forgives those labeled sinners, loves them, hangs out with them, lifts them up, and gives them a new start. Jesus taught, preached, and practiced a new world where we don't look at people as sinners. We don't label them as sinners and condemn them, but we treat people as children of God, forgiven, made right with God by his grace alone, through Christ alone, received by faith alone. Four questions for you as to whether you live in the live free, do good world. Do you believe you're made right with God, forgiven, and a child of God because of his wonderful grace alone? If yes, you live in the live free, do good world. Do you believe God wants the best for you but isn't angered or condemning when you don't get it quite right? If you know that there's some things in your life that God's working with you in to take you maybe to a better spot, but as you fail along the way, make some mistakes, some missteps, God's not under, you know, you're not under his condemnation. Do you enjoy your relationship with God, which motivates you to treat people with kindness and do some good in this world? You're motivated to do good because of God's grace, not because of fear. Are you humbled and grateful for God's grace so you don't bother standing in judgment over others? Your priority is more about them experiencing the same grace that sets you free. If that's you, you live in the live free, do good world. Jesus introduced this new world and it cost him his life. The religious people said, no way, we cannot have Jesus freeing people from our religious empire of commandments and fear and threats. We can't have it. Jesus must be put to death. And he gave the full measure of his love by giving his life to set us free from the slave to sin paradigm, the slave to sin world, and to lead us into the live free, do good world. He gave his life for it. And the apostle Paul says in Romans six, we are with Jesus, we are in Jesus. We are in Jesus. So if Jesus died to the slave to sin world, the slave to sin world is dead in us. If Jesus rose to the live free, do good world, we are raised to the live free, do good world. He says so in Romans 6, 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. The word there is immersion. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we now also may live new lives. Jesus says, I, I'm gonna offer you a whole new life. You are in me. And so as I died for the sin of the world, there is no sin over you. There is no sin mastering you. You are free. 
And as I rose again from the dead to give you a new and eternal life, that's you. You are raised to live in a new life, the live free, do good life. Romans 6, 7, and 8. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Paul is saying time and again, you're in Christ. If Jesus Christ, who was swallowed by the sin of the world, was raised perfect, well, guess what? You're in Christ and God looks at you as perfect. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are in Christ. Jesus is perfect. Therefore, in the eyes of God, you are perfect. You're in Christ. This whole idea of sin management and sin labeling, this whole idea of guilt and shame and fear and punishment, gone, died with Christ. You are free. You are free. Then Paul puts this absolutely on the head of a pin in Romans 6, 14. And some of you are not gonna be happy with this. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. I'm sure at this point, the Jewish legalizers in the Roman church just died. Their whole life is based on the law. Their whole life these precious 10 commandments, you know, given by the finger of God to Moses and Moses delivers them to the people. These are the 10 commandments that identifies our whole society and identifies our whole relationship with God. These beautiful 10 commandments and 613 roughly commandments around those big 10, right? Their whole life, their whole culture, their whole relationship with God is based on those commandments, the law. And the apostle Paul himself a Jewish legalizer, a Jewish lawyer. He knows, he memorized this law. He says, you're not under the law. Jews and Gentiles, you're not under the law. Can I rephrase? The 10 commandments have no bearing over us. None, died with Christ. The 613 commandments of the Old Testament died with Christ, which is good because I like bacon. I like cheeseburgers, I had shrimp last night. I couldn't do any of that if I was under the law. None of it. I, I, I pulled weeds yesterday. I couldn't pull weeds on a Saturday under the law. Couldn't do any of that stuff. I couldn't make a meal yesterday on the Sabbath day. Couldn't do it. We'd have to kill every one of you to talk back to your parents. We wouldn't have a church. Offerings would be down. <laughs> We're not under the law, people. As we will detail in summer seminary, plug, 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 we will talk about what a gift that law was to the Jewish people setting up the ministry of Jesus. But the apostle Paul says, we're not under the law. Gone, dead, buried, crucified with Christ. We are not under the law. It can't get any more clear. We are under grace. The only thing that defines our relationship with God is grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. Not law, not commandments, not rules, not regulations, not religious expectations, nothing. It is gone dead with Christ. And we are raised with Christ, in Christ, declared perfect as a gift. Can this be any more clear? Cannot. We do not need religious laws, rules, or commandments to keep us in line. We just don't. We are free. We're free from being afraid of God. We're free from feeling distant from God. We are free from fearing judgment of God. We are free from guilt, free from shame. We are free from having to try to get better and better and better to prove something to God. We're free to enjoy God as a heavenly father. We are free to be in Christ, declared perfect in God's eyes. You're his perfect daughter, you're his perfect son. We cannot say that enough. Know that, believe that. That's what faith is all about, right? 
and, and we're free to enjoy now living a life of love and grace to the world around us. That is worth smiling and celebrating, right? That's a good, good life. It's a good relationship with God. It's a good, fun church. Not the sour face, judgy, sin management, just nightmare, right? Live free. What's the other two words? Do good. Do good. We actually debated, do we just do the live free thing and let it stand and that would be great, but eh, do good. Because we have to answer the question in Romans 6, 1. Is there any expectation for those of us who follow Jesus? There is. There's an expectation, I would say an invitation to do good. Romans 6, 8. Now you are free from your slavery to sin. Live free. No law is over you. No commandments are over you. No expectations are over you. Live free. You are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to right living. Right living. Not under the commandments, not under religious law, but right living in God's grace. Right living in God's grace. And I will say that true right living can only happen by grace. If we are living right because of fear, is that really living right? I mean, if you led your home, for those of you who are parents, if you led your home as a tyrant and you had a big stick and every time there was any disobedience, you'd whack, 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 whack. Would you have a compliant child? Yes, until about 11. Then all hell would break loose. You can keep a, a, a child compliant with fear and threats and, and punishment, right? But at some point, people get over that and it actually builds resentment. It is love and grace that changes the heart. And so if a kid does something wrong and hurts themselves or hurts their brother or sister, you come alongside and you bring correction and you say, hey, I love you, you forgive you. We need some love and restoration here. We need to love each other, right? There could be some consequences, but it's not fear and threats and punishments. It's love. I love 1 John 4, 18. It just defines the whole deal here. There is no fear in love. John is saying, don't fear God. Don't be afraid of God. Because God purely loves. So there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, which means what? God's not punishing us. He loves us. There's no punishment, none. Does he want us to live a life that's honoring to him and honoring to ourselves and honoring to others? What's the answer? Yes. All motivated by love, not punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So what's the apostle John saying? The more we know about God's love, the more free we are to, to enjoy that relationship, the more free we are to love one another. And that is the definition of living right. Jesus said it. All the law, all the prophets, all of it can be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself, period. What does it mean to do good? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. That's the perfect live free, do good message right here in 1 John that is grounded in Romans chapter six. I'm gonna tell you a story here. When I was 16 years old, I was a little thief. Little thief. I found my parents' cash stash. Now some of you are wondering, what's cash? All right, if you're under 30, let me explain. <laughs> I, I saw a lot of blank stares. There used to be uh, paper printed by the US government. We could exchange goods for paper. I know you're looking at me like, what? 
Um, so I first started taking the lower denominations, just a little bit every once in a while, and they didn't seem to notice. 16 years old, could use the gas money, right? It's just right there. It's almost like they wanted me to have it. <laughs> After a while, I got a little more bold and I started taking the bigger denominations a little more often. And one time I went for the mother load and took, I don't know how much, but it was probably a few hundred dollars. And at the time, 1985, that's worth about six million. <laughs> took a bunch of cash. And they noticed. <laughs> and so they deduced very quickly, must be uh, our boy, Scott. And so they pulled me aside and did you do this? Nope, 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 nope. Right, the good church kid who was judging everybody else for their sin, stealing from his parents, right? Didn't do it, finally got backed in a corner and confessed, right? And my parents had several options, right? They had several options. I think they had three options. One, call the cops. Is there a law against stealing hundreds of dollars? They had every legal right in the law, in the code, to call the cops and have me arrested. Could have done that, every right to do that. They could have chosen not to apply the law strictly, but they could have chosen to really make my life miserable. I need your license, because you clearly use this to go take your friends out somewhere with your car. Um, we're gonna take your license, we're gonna take your car, we're gonna keep you at home for about the rest of your life. They could have come down hard, right? What they chose to do was to be really like our Heavenly Father. They didn't use the law. They didn't call the cops. God has every right to use the law, right? He's the perfect God. He has every right to use the law. He has every right to say, hey, this Old Testament stuff, we're going Old Testament all over it, right? We're going Old Testament for the rest of eternity. He has every right to do that. He's the Holy God, but he chooses not to. That was crucified with Christ. So he doesn't take that option. He could choose to make our lives kind of miserable by saying, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Don't ever forget you're a sinner. Don't ever forget you're a sinner. Every single day, you need to know you're a sinner. Every single day, you need to have your little prayer time where you're confessing your sin, and I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening for sincerity. I'm listening for detail. I need to know you're contrite, and I will kind of forgive you as I see you're sincere. He could make our lives religiously miserable, and a lot of people live under that. Jesus teaches us God chose to be a loving heavenly father who in the face of our sin, our failures, he says, I just want you to know I love you. I want you to know you're forgiven. I want you to know that I want you to live a good life. I want you to live a right life that respects yourself and respects others. That's the life I want you to live. And I'm here to help you with that, but I'm not gonna be smacking you around this isn't gonna be a fear-based relationship. There will be no punishment. My parents didn't punish me for stealing hundreds of dollars. My parents didn't punish me. They didn't punish me in some disciplinary way. They didn't punish me by this long-term, hey, you know what you did, remember what you did, remember what you did. They didn't punish me with guilt or shame, nothing. We talked, we talked. I heard their heart loud and clear. This isn't good for us. This isn't good for you. And they got to a point where I think they understood that I was very sincerely sorry. They just gave grace upon grace upon grace. I never took another thing. I never took another thing that they know about. I never took another thing. 
No, it legitimately, I never took another thing. Because it's love and grace that actually changes the heart. It's love and grace that actually solidifies a good relationship. It's love and grace and forgiveness and kindness and restoration that really causes us, compels us, and motivates us to be more and more like Jesus. Has the threat of law and punishment ever changed the heart? No. God sets us free. But he sets us free to do good. He sets us free to do good. And I think for those of us who are trapped in the slavery to sin world and all of our relationship with God is guilt, threats, and fear, it is time to live in a new world, be resurrected to a new world of living free and doing good. Let's pray. Our God and Father, the book of Romans is such a, a, a precious gift to us. It is among, if not the most revered book of the Bible saying with such clarity and power and precision and detail that we are free. We're free from the whole paradigm of commandments and fear and threats and punishment. We are absolutely free. And like a heavenly father, you just give us the gift of grace and forgiveness and love and mercy that we don't deserve. You just give it to us. And by faith, we receive it. And by faith, we believe it. And by faith, we live as though there is nothing that separates us from you. And the death of Jesus proved it. The sacrifice of Jesus proved the depth of your love for us, so committed to this message of freedom that it cost the Son of God his life. But with the death of Jesus is the death of the whole slavery to sin paradigm. The law itself, as Paul says in Colossians, was crucified with Christ. The very code that stands against us and condemns us is crucified with Christ. And we are raised with Christ, the risen Christ, the perfect Christ. And so we are declared perfect in your eyes. You look at us as perfect sons and perfect daughters. And we believe that and we receive that and we rest in that and we thank you for it. So God, help us to live in that freedom. It's not a freedom to just go sin wildly. That is a ludicrous idea. It is freedom to actually love as we are loved. It's freedom to serve others as we have been served by you. It's freedom to live a sacrificial life for the benefit of others because that's what Jesus did for us. We can live free and we can do good in a way that honors you, respects ourselves and respects others and truly brings this world together by the love and grace of Jesus Christ, your son. In his name we pray and everybody said. Amen.